One year ago, we all realized everything was about to change. I don't know if you remember where you were, but just about a year ago, that was when the World Health Organization categorized COVID-19 as a pandemic. And I know everyone kind of had different responses. I know some people right away thought, oh, this is just not a big deal. And, or some people started immediately kind of freaking out. But if you're like me, when you realize that, you know, baseball and the NBA, when they started canceling their games and you realize billions of dollars were at stake, you thought everything is changing. Well, here we are one year later, really from that anniversary of, of COVID-19 being this pandemic. You know, if you remember back to those early days, what was the hottest commodity that was, you know, going out? Uh, we all had to stockpile. What was that? Do you remember? The toilet paper. Yeah. What a funny thing. Like, it's not like COVID gives you the runs, but, you know, uh, we all wanted to stock up on our toilet paper. And what's interesting is if you talk to some grocery store workers nowadays, toilet paper is fine. That's not really the, the hottest commodity. Do you know what the number one item that a lot of stores can't even keep stocked is? It's alcohol. Yeah, alcohol sales are actually up 500% over they were a year ago. The reality is that in this last year, we have been struggling with so much that so many of us have realized that we can't take it, and so we're trying to numb it. And so alcohol sales are up 500%. Uh, according to statistics uh, with our, our, the U.S. Department of Health, you know, a little over a year ago, heart disease was, was the number one concern, followed by depression. And nowadays, actually, anxiety has leapfrogged both heart disease and depression as the number one concern affecting the health of Americans. And maybe you've sensed this, but there's just this low-hanging, pervasive sense of anxiety and fear just kind of over our country, over, over many of us. And I think that manifests in different ways. Today, what we're going to dive into is what do we do about that? What do we do about this anxiety, this fear, this worry, the fact that a year ago, really everything changed? You know, so many of us, we numb in different ways. Maybe that's alcohol. Maybe it's uh, you know, as well, you do the reading, so many people are misusing um, Drugs, prescription drugs. Uh, they're trying to escape. They're trying to numb. You know, binge-watching TV shows. And again, we're not preaching against those things, but people are just trying to escape in some way. Perhaps it's food. Perhaps you know, if I eat this food, I'll get that dopamine hit and, and get a little bit of an escape. But Jesus doesn't come to just help us numb the pain. He comes as a true healer, Amen. And today we're going to look at what does he say about finding true freedom? Not just a way to numb the pain, but finding true freedom. Would you join me just in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into John chapter 8 today. Jesus, thank you that you are here. And God, as we just kind of remember back one year ago to the start of this pandemic, God, there's so many needs around us. Anxiety, worry, fear, depression, addiction, marital issues, joblessness, people struggling to make ends meet, people 
wrestling with secret sins and addictions, loneliness, so many things. It just feels overwhelming. But Jesus, we know you are the answer. That you are our light, our guide, the pathway towards true freedom. So Jesus, I just pray right now for everyone in the room, everyone watching online, that you would speak the words they need to hear this morning, that you would use me, you use the rest of the service, God, just to bring hope, bring healing. We pray for just a clearer picture of you, Jesus, your splendor, your majesty, your grace. <laughs> that we just leave just in awe of who you are and how much you love us. And that you are here closer to us than the air that we breathe. And we pray, amen. Well, uh, just about a year ago, my family had the awesome chance to uh, go down to Florida. And uh, when we, it was our last chance to kind of see things um, uh, kind of real life. So we had one day down at Disney World, um, one day at Hollywood Studios before everything went crazy. I think we were down there March 8th, and uh, it was something like March uh, 13th or 14th that the World Health Organization said that we are in a global pandemic. So we barely uh, went down there before actually Disney World actually really even shut down. We had this one perfect day of Disney. And that's what I remember when I look back um, on that time. And we got there you know, super early in the morning so we could get all the Star Wars rides. We're a Star Wars family, as you can see. Here we are meeting Darth Vader. Um, Darth Vader actually is one of my favorite characters uh, in, in all of fictional uh, world. I have actually have a Darth Vader in my office for the last 20 years. And people are always like, why do you have Darth Vader in your office? Uh, it's a reminder to me that no one is ever too far gone that, uh, to receive redemption. Uh, you know, even one of the greatest villains of all time, Time Magazine says, uh, at the end is redeemed and can step into the light. So that's one of the reasons I love uh, the character of Darth Vader. Uh, but so we had this fun time, and, you know, we're, we're having a blast. And you know how it is, like, down at Disney World, you got to have that one souvenir. And so, you know, I picked out uh, a souvenir for myself. And uh, when I was a kid, man, I wanted a real lightsaber. But, you know... Uh, I don't think we had money for lightsabers, or they didn't really exist back then, or I don't really know. And so, you know, you use paper towel rolls, or whatever you can find to make your own lightsabers. Like, I would have, wow, been over the moon if I had a lightsaber like this. I mean, I mean, that really lights up, you know, and it, like, even makes noise. Like, when you hit it, like, it's amazing. Um, and, but one of the reasons, also, I'm very pragmatic. I was like, I'm going to get a lightsaber, but also, it's useful. Because at dark, when I got my four kids following me, I could just be like, follow the light. You know, follow the light. And so as they, as they walked, they would follow the lightsaber, you know, and then you kind of freak them out and you go dark. It's like, where'd Dad go? I'm right here, you know. Uh, so still sometimes I like to walk into their bedrooms and, you know, when they're laying down and turn off the lights and walk up very closely and then boom, you know, and then turn the light on. Like, ah, Dad, you know. It's like, no, I'm not like Luke, uh, you know. But uh, follow the light. That is what Jesus is going to talk about today. It, you know, step into the light, follow the light. Um, Jesus didn't have a lightsaber, although that's an awesome picture if he did have a lightsaber. But today we're going to see what does this mean when Jesus says that I am the light. You know, what does that mean? We've been in the Gospel of John now since uh, 2021 started. 
And I, I love walking through books of the Bible. One of the things I love is that it kind of gives us the chance to recap every week and just as a reminder, hey, what have we been learning? What have we been kind of doing? It's that quick recap. You know, when, when you're watching a TV show, if you're not binge watching it or if you're watching like, you know, WandaVision and it comes out weekly or The Mandalorian, they hit that quick little recap. So that's what we're going to do real fast before we dive into John chapter 8. John chapter 1, this amazing hymn, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, and it, it talks about how then the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or made his dwelling among us, or tabernacled among us. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message, I love his translation that God moved into our neighborhood through the person of Jesus. You know, when, when it, it seemed hopeless, when the world was filled with darkness and chaos and, and people are fighting and there was this longing, this anticipation for 400 years as Jesus, as God is silent, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And then in John 2, we see the first sign, this wedding feast and they run out of wine and the young couple is embarrassed. They have egg on their face and Jesus reveals himself through this first miracle by providing this generous amount of wine. And we say that Jesus comes to bring true festival joy. That's the metaphor for wine. But to get to that wedding feast, we said in the book of Revelation, that's where our story ends, not with this floating in heaven, disembodied spirits, but heaven comes to earth. God restores our physical bodies. These are not bad. That's a Gnostic Greek philosophy, not Christian philosophy, but we are body, mind, and spirit, and so God is going to redeem our bodies, our minds, our souls, and heaven's going to come to earth, and we are going to celebrate with a wedding feast with the Lamb, with Jesus, but to get to that wedding, Jesus is going to have to go to the cross first. And in our lives, to get to that celebration, we're going to have to go through some tough times, some hard times. But Jesus is going to use those, and he's with us in those times. John chapter 3, uh, Josh did a great job preaching on eternal life. Nicodemus, this well-known Pharisee, teacher of the law, comes at night. Someone who's powerful, a man, comes at night to ask Jesus his questions. And Jesus says, I've come to bring life. Life eternal it starts here and now. But Nicodemus is still a little uncertain. Next chapter, Jesus meets a woman during the day who's powerless, who's been wronged, who's perhaps been abused. We get a little clue when they talk about the well that, of Joseph, who had been misused in his life. But she then is used as the way to bring the good news of Jesus, not the powerful male, but Jesus uses the woman who's powerless to bring the good news to her whole town in Samaria. And what a beautiful beautiful uh, story of uh, Jesus saying, I am the living water, come and drink and you will thirst no more. John chapter 5, Ethan did a great job sharing that Jesus brings healing. There's a man for 38 years who was paralyzed. What does that mean? It meant he wouldn't be able to go to the temple. He wouldn't be able to go worship. He would have to rely on others. There was no social security, no benefit system. He had to rely on others uh, for food, for shelter, for everything. And what does Jesus ask him? Ethan did a great job talking about this. Do you want to be healed? Jesus comes to each one of us and asks us that question. He's a gentleman. He says, do you want to be healed? And then Jesus brings healing. And then we saw Jesus brings provision as he feeds the 5,000. He uses those pieces to bring provision to all our needs. He's also our peace as Jesus walks in the water. And as they're terrified, he brings that peace with them 
wherever he goes. And his followers were to bring peace, were to bring provision to others. And last week, uh, Josh Myers, our church planner, we were talking about planting, talked about uh, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He says, if you come to me, out of you will flow streams of living water. And he says, that is the Holy Spirit, which was to come, but hadn't come yet. That after the cross, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven, and then they waited for 10 more days, and then the Holy Spirit fell on them. And now, instead of the Holy Spirit just being available to a few people in the Old Testament, like Samson or or David, now the Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us who comes to Jesus. And now, out of us flows those streams of living water, and the Holy Spirit flows out of us. And we bring the goodness of Jesus and we say, come to Jesus and drink. And then today, we're going to talk about that Jesus gives freedom. All right, so in these stories, it's so good to know kind of just what's the setting uh, of our story. Because that helps set the mood, kind of what's going on. This is the Feast of Booths. For a long time, I grew up and I'd be like, "Ah, feast this, what's that? I don't even know it. But there is a lot of significance here. And so it's important to know this is also called the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, it's in Jerusalem. And where this story takes place is what's near the treasury. They have these giant kind of treasure chests. You drop off your offerings. Uh, as a good Jewish person, when you come to these festivals, and that's how they, they provided for the temple and, and the priests. And it was a highly trafficked area in what was known as the women's courts. And so very... Uh, public place, very well-known. This is where Jesus is going to stand up and, 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 and share his teaching. Uh, here, in the Festival of Booths, what this was, was this was commemorating their time when God led them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt into the Promised Land. Kind of uh, a good thing to realize whenever you're reading the New Testament is pretty much everything points back to either Genesis or Exodus. Uh, there's hyperlinks in the text that really points back to those two books. Uh, almost always, there's something they're pointing to in Genesis or something in Exodus. And Exodus is really that defining moment where God is our redeemer. That God doesn't leave us in chains and slavery as the Israelites were for 400 years, but he leads them out of slavery at, through the Red Sea. And we've talked about how Jesus is the truer and better Moses, he doesn't just lead people through the water. He actually walked on the water. He didn't just bring manna they have to collect and then turn into bread. He uh, multiplied the bread. And so what they would do during this Feast of Booths is that people on the outskirts of town, everyone from 30 miles outside of Jerusalem would have to come in, and they'd build these little booths. Actually, they still do this today in Israel. And there were these kind of portable shelters to remind themselves that they once were on the run, that once they were living in these portable shelters. And you had to leave little spots open so you could see the stars to remind yourself that once we lived under the stars and actually that the light could come through the sides, they had different things. But this was to remind themselves that once they lived in these tents and they had the tabernacle here, which before they built the temple, that was the dwelling place of God among his people. And if you remember the story, as they were journeying through uh, the desert and, and, and through uh, that whole region before they reached the promised land, they have the tabernacle. So remember, Jesus says, uh, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So this is, embodies, Jesus now embodies the tabernacle. But there was this pillar of fire that led them at night. And during the day, the fire was sheathed in clouds. And they'd follow that cloud. But inside, 
those clouds was always the pillar fire. But then at night, clouds would go away and the pillar fire was there. And when that pillar fire moved, they would move. When that pillar fire stayed, they would stay. And so at this festival of booths, they wanted to remember when God led them as this pillar fire, as this, this pillar of light that, would, would, that they would follow after. And what we see is Jesus is going to say that he is the light. In the same way that during the day, those clouds would sheath and cover up that, that, that pillar of flame, now Jesus is clothed in flesh, hiding his true divinity, but he still is that pillar of flame. And so what they would do, this was kind of a, an artist's kind of rendering of, of the completed temple. So this is downtown Jerusalem. This is the center of everything, their temple. They moved from the tabernacle to the temple, from temporary to permanent. And as a reminder of this time when they wandered in the desert, I know it's a little tough to see, but they'd have these four huge candle stands that were as tall as the walls, um, 40, 50, 60 feet tall, these huge things filled with giant bowls of oil. And young spry priests like our interns or youth directors like Ethan would be the ones who'd be like, all right, Ethan, you're the one. Now you're going to climb up these ladders. And at night, uh, for seven days, what they would do is they'd climb up these ladders and they'd, ha- they'd have these giant wicks and they'd light these huge bowls of oil. So think uh, like the Olympic flame. You'd have four of them. And, and they'd be in the four corners of, of kind of the women's court by the treasury. And it would light up everything in Jerusalem, the whole area, as a reminder of this pillar of fire that led them uh, while they're in the wilderness. So during this time, that's when Jesus stands up during this feast, and this is what he's going to say. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. So just imagine, it's dark, everyone's waiting, it's a celebration, we're going to remember, we're going to feast, and, and just when the the young priests are getting ready to light those huge Olympic torches. Jesus stands up, maybe at the same time says, I am the light of the world. It's like, poof, and you know, these huge lights go on. So that's, that's what we have to get in our head. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, he's saying, I'm like that pillar of fire, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Here Jesus is pointing back to that time where Moses met God in the burning flame. And how did Yahweh reveal himself? I am who I am. Jesus is saying, that's who I am. I'm the God who has always existed. The God who revealed himself to Moses. The God who led you out of slavery and bondage as that pillar of fire. The God who... Reveal himself on Mount Sinai, the I am. And unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's talking about the cross. He's pointing to the lights that they've just been lifted up and, and they lit those. You will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. The Father is with me. We are one. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. 
And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus is teaching. He's in the courts and, and these huge four Olympic torches are there. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, like your ancestors followed the, the pillar of flame, you will have eternal life. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now they're kind of boasting here because they were slaves to Egypt and then to Babylon and then to uh, the Persians then the Greeks, now they're Romans, but they weren't technically slaves, even though their whole land is living under the boot of the Roman evil empire. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus brings freedom. And people they're wrestling with this. What does this mean, Jesus, that you are the light of the world as, as they see these huge lights being lit? And are you saying that you, you're, you're that Yahweh? You're Yahweh who led us out of slavery and bondage and led us like that pillar of flame? What do you mean by that? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying he's the light of the world. He's saying that we live in a world of darkness, that we are incapable of saving ourselves, that our good deeds can't save us, that that this world around us is so dark. I mean, the last year has proven that so much to us with with issues of justice and and people fighting. And and if you spend any time online, it's a hot mess and people are going back and forth and, and, and there's just inequality and, and there's death and there's dying And Jesus comes as light into that darkness. And then he says to follow him. We've talked that it's not just about saying some prayer. It's not just about, quote unquote, believing in Jesus. But what belief means is to actively follow him. In the same way that those Israelites, they would walk and they'd follow that pillar flame when the pillar flame moved. And then they would Stop when the pillar flame stopped. In the same way in our lives, we're to follow Jesus. When he goes, we go. When he stays, we stay. That we are his Talmudim, his followers. And what Jesus says is that you will have the light. Not just that you step into light, you will have the light. What he's saying is that you and I will become shafts of light. This week I've been thinking about that and praying about that and, and I was trying to talk it over with Chris and I was like, I don't know how, how do I articulate this that when we see each other at church, when we see each other at small group or wherever, Brenda, I, I see you as a shaft of light and Rachel as a shaft of light and Aaron as a shaft of light. We are not just mere mortals. See, Sula says we've never met a mere mortal. We will exist forever somewhere and if we have follow Jesus, if we bow the knee to him, although we may be clothed temporarily right now and we can't see who we truly are, but we are these shafts of light. And what does that mean? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's how the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. For one time, not just you were in darkness, you were darkness. But now, not just you walk in light, 
You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then Jesus says this. Remember, he says, I am the light of the world. Well, in Matthew 5, what does he say to his followers, his Talmudim, his disciples? He says, you are the light of the world. Jesus is the light, and then as we follow him, we too become these shafts of light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Here's how Paul writes it in Philippians from prison. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. He can say that because he's writing in a prison cell, getting ready to have his head chopped off. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Things haven't changed too much in 2,000 years. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Man, I... As a pastor now uh, of Mosaic for five years and a pastor in general for 20 years, and I resonate with this so much as Paul's writing to the churches he helped start. He's saying, help me to be proud. Help me not to know that I ran in vain. And this is my prayer for each and every one of you. Do all things without crumbling, grumbling. Be blameless and innocent, not in who you are, but because as Jesus you've been clothed in his blood, children of God, shine as lights in the world. I think truly, if we begin to see ourselves as shafts of light, as lights in the world, that would really change our perspective. If we woke up and said, today I am a light in the world, I shine hope, I shine goodness, I shine peace, I shine love, as Jesus, the light of the world, shines through me. How do we follow Jesus? Jesus tells us this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Number one, abide in God's word. We've been talking about this for a while, that I implore you, one of the best ways we can grow in Jesus is to abide in God's word. In John 15, that'll come back again as, as the branches abide in the vine. So we are to be connected and to abide in God's word with Jesus. And we say we don't just read God's word just to check it off a list, but we, we read God's word to meet with Jesus. We, we want to start our days in God's word, to journal our prayers. We talk about the power of gratitude at I just can't encourage you enough. Start your days. Before opening up, you know, social media or your email or any of that stuff, open God's word. You know, as a parent, maybe, you know, invite your kids in, you know, try to wake up before them. And then as they wake up, hey, you don't want to come? And we've been trying to do this with Josh and Becca, and it's hard, and they don't want to often, but sometimes they will. They'll choose to grab their Bibles and sit down next to us. And I think it's great to be an example, but also to invite them into that. And say, come on, let, let's abide in God's word. And then, but we need to obey God's word as his Talmudim, as his disciples, as his followers. So much of the Western church, we are educated beyond our level of obedience. It's not just about knowing it, it's about doing it. If we don't actually put God's word into practice, it doesn't do us any good. It's, it's just like someone said, uh, 
you know, the one who doesn't read has no advantage of the one who can't read. The one who doesn't obey what God's word says has no advantage over those who've never heard it and can't put it into practice. And so we need to obey God's word. And then we open ourselves up to God's truth to allow him to come in and change it. See, Jesus is a gentleman, and he won't heal what we won't reveal to him. Until we're willing to open ourselves up and reveal all those places, the little nooks and crannies of our heart that have darkness in them, until we're willing to his light to shine in, he's not going to kick that door down. And so part of this process is abiding God's word, obeying it, and then you open yourselves up to allow Jesus to do the deep work of, clean, of changing and cleansing our hearts, our minds, our souls. It's going to take work. Here's how Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what it means to abide. It's, it's meditating on God's word and just over time begins to change us as we put God's word into practice. Uh, Kent Hughes, a theologian and pastor, said this, that the reason many Christians are not experiencing freedom today is that while they may be biblically literate, they are not biblically obedient. It's knowing but not following. It's not being obedient. And so we struggle in our finances because we're not putting God first in that area. We struggle in our sexuality because we're not putting God first in that area. We struggle with our mental health because we're not putting God first in that area. Fill in the blank. We don't find freedom often because we're not being obedient to what Jesus said. But light brings freedom. As, as we near towards the close of today's service, I, I want to be very clear about something. Uh, and, and all week, just being honest, I've been wrestling with uh, how do I articulate this point right here? Finding healing and forgiveness is kind of a two-step process. There is, uh, the Bible calls it an already but not yet. There is healing that can happen in a moment, and then there is a process of walking in that. And so, as we look at the statistics and people numbing their pain and a low level of anxiety, and you talk to pediatricians and the amount of kids struggling with just stomach aches or, or acting up, and it's because they have anxiety and they don't even realize that they have it or, or that feeling of not wanting to get out of bed or not knowing what to do. I believe... And as we close our service, we're going to end with a response song. And I believe that God can bring healing right now as, as we bring to him those areas of our heart that need his healing. When you go to the doctor, you want to show him where you're hurting so that he can bring that healing. And that's what we're going to do in a little bit. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to bring our hurts, our pains to Jesus. However, there also is a process of healing. And I think sometimes in the church, we can emphasize one or the other. That we don't believe that God can bring instant healing, and so we don't ask for it. Or we, we pray for that instant healing, and then when it doesn't happen, we get discouraged, and, and, and we just stop. But there is a process here. 
And so I hope and I want to ask, do you have someone that you can talk to? A counselor? A spiritual director? Someone who can just help you navigate some of these things. We need to talk about it. Uh, James tells us to confess our sins one to another. Confess those areas where you're hurting, you're broken, those addictions. We bring them to God, but also there's someone you need to talk to about that. And that's going to help bring healing and hope. I am not a licensed therapist or counselor. I would love to point you in that direction and in a way to that. But if you need someone to talk to, I would love to just hey, send us an email on our, um, on our connection card. Hey, I just want to meet with Eric, either in person or on Zoom, as a spiritual director in just a couple sessions. And we can just talk about, you know, what's going on. Because you need someone to talk to. I've shared this last summer. I hit a breaking point where the anxiety just broke me. And sometimes our bodies uh, just manifest that first. And so I was on the ground, and I didn't know how to deal with the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of everything that was going on. And so I saw a therapist, and I saw a counselor. But also, the therapist helped me get on some medication to help with anxiety and panic attacks that was happening. So we believe God's healer, but also science. And so you may need to get on a prescription, some medicine, just to help you get over this. You may need some people in your life to talk to. Um, don't just continue to struggle with, with this anxiety, with this depression. There is a process of healing many times. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and, and, and uh, we're going to lead us in a song soon. But also, there is this process, but also we believe that Jesus is here right now, and his Holy Spirit brings healing, amen? And that change can happen in an instant. See, the reality is, so many of us, we, we have these things that we're, we're dealing with, and we think, well, you know what, it, it, it's no big deal that, you know, I, I, I'm looking at these images online because my intimacy with my wife is just not good right now and I'm just getting through this. Or, you know, that, you know, I really can't sleep unless I have that glass of scotch or whiskey or that glass of wine while I'm making dinner. And so what we do is we just, we numb ourselves to the pain and again and again, and, and what we find is that we just, we find ourselves bound by these chains. And, and, and we don't even realize it, but, but they're weighing us down, and we think this is what life is like, and, and then we go to God's word, and, and, and we're like, why does this feel like it's just kind of a drag? And, and, and what happens is, is we're, is we're just numbing ourselves, but we're not having actual self-soul care. And so what ends up happening is, 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 is we just find ourselves in the darkness. You can go to that next slide. Yeah, that was the one. There you go. And, and our chains hold us back, I think. Brenda, you can play quietly if you want. Hold us back from that light of Jesus because we think when he 
shines his light at us that he's not going to like what he sees. And so we, we hide in our chains and, and, and we hold on to these things that we're using to numb ourselves because we think that's better than the alternative of, of, of actually bringing it into the light. But Jesus says to, to bring it and step into the light. And then you know the truth that he already knows. He knows the deepest, darkest secrets. He knows the secret addictions, the shame, the anxiety, the feelings of not being good enough, the, the pride, the, the addictions, the, the hatred in your heart. And he says, when you know that truth, then those chains will fall off and you will find true freedom. But that is only by stepping into the light. And so right now, as we close our service out, I implore you to come into the light, the light of Jesus, that Jesus says he is the light of the world. And if you are his disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And church, I believe God does not want you to continue to live in bondage to those secret sins, those, that anxiety, that, that depression, the, the, those feelings of anger, that, that those, those ways you're self-medicating. But Jesus wants to bring freedom. And that can happen in a moment right here, right now, but it could just be the start of something that Jesus says, you know what, you need to talk to someone. You need to meet with a counselor. You need to get on some medication. You, you need to bring a friend in and talk about that secret sin, that secret shame. I believe right now God's going to do something right here, right now, in this moment. But then it's going to continue on. And it's going to be that choice that we have to be obedient. We have to walk in that choice. That we're going to say we're no longer slaves to sin, to shame, to guilt. That Jesus came to bring freedom, to bring life in the fullness. And if right now, this last year has been so hard, you feel like you're not living life in the fullness, Jesus says, come to me, drink deeply of that wine, that, that joy. And you'll find forgiveness and healing. So during this song, you can stay seated, you can stand, you can kneel. We are a body, mind, a soul. I find that... I'm able to respond more to God when my body's involved. So it's like I like to walk and pray or I like to kneel in worship or raise my hands. But if you're just feeling weighed down and bound, maybe you just need to lift up those hands as an act of saying, God, I'm letting go of these chains, these things I'm holding on to. And I'm stepping into the light. So shine your light over every area of my life. Even those secret areas that I've been holding back, Jesus, come in right now. Shine it all so I can give it to you. So that I can find healing. You know, the things that we won't uncover, that we are covering up, God's going to uncover those things one way or the other. But the things that we uncover and give to God... God says that he will cover those things through Jesus' death on the cross. So right now, I just want to encourage you to uncover all that stuff. All the ways you, you fail and, and, and the shame and the guilt and the brokenness. And believe that he is the God who leads us out of slavery and bondage through the Red Sea into the promised land. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. You are the truer and better Moses and you don't just lead a people out of 
out of bondage uh, politically, but God, you lead us, our bodies, our minds, our soul into freedom. You are the light that leads us. And so we, we say we want to follow wherever you go. And we believe that you can bring healing right here in this moment, right now. God, I, I pray right now for those who are, are struggling with secret sins, addictions, depressions, shame, uh, uh, ways that they've been hurt in the past, uh, abuse, um, just all those things, God, that you would bring healing right now. We believe that can happen in a moment. But God, also, for those of us, it's going to be a, maybe a journey. And that you, to trust that you're going to walk with us on this journey of healing and, and forgiveness and hope. So God, I just pray right now that you just reveal to everyone in this room what that step they need to take out of darkness into light. If, if it's meeting with a counselor or a pastor or, or just meeting with a friend to share, someone to hold them accountable to, whatever that step is, God, they need to make to, to walk in light, to find freedom, God, that you would reveal that right now in this place as we sing this song together. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this song.